Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan, and we're back with another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. And I'm here with a really special guest that I'm excited to introduce to you. Um, His name is Michael Arterberry. So Michael, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, um, who am I? Let me see. Check this out. I'm going to do something special for you. All right. So to explain who I am, I want to tell you a story. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's about a farmer and a donkey. All right. And this donkey is one of his favorite farm animals because once he finishes working with the donkey in the fields, he brings the donkey back to his home and he allows his donkey to play with his kids. So imagine the kids come running out the house and they pet them and they wash them. And then at the end of the night, he sends them back out in the farm. This is a normal ritual that he has. So one night he brings the donkey home and the kids come out, they play with them, they wash them. He releases them back out into the farm. The following morning, when he gets up, he whistles for him, and the donkey doesn't show up. So when the donkey doesn't show up, he's like, wow, you know, I want to I wanna find him. So he's walking around the farm, he's whistling, calling his name, and he finally finds him at the bottom of an empty water well. And so he goes over to the well, he looks down, he sees him there. So he goes and gets six of his friends and they come over to the well and they're trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to get him out? So one of his friends suggested that they get some rope and they pull him out. So they all get some rope and they start pulling uh, last one, the donkey. So they throw it, they miss, they throw it, they miss. They finally throw it by his hind legs. He steps into the rope. They shimmy it up his body, and they all start to pull. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. Then halfway up the the well, they realize, Laura, that the donkey is too heavy. So when they realize he's too heavy, they lower him back to the bottom of the well. And now that farmer has to make a grim decision. You see, he can't feed the donkey food from his family. You know what I'm saying? Because that wouldn't make any sense. He really feels like he can't starve him because if he starves him, then that's, you know, it's more like his pet. Then one of his hot-headed friends was like, hey, just shoot him. He's like, no, I can't do that. That's too violent. So one of his more reasonable friends said, listen, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. 
So we're going to cover them with dirt so your kittens don't fall in, but you're going to have to sacrifice your donkey. So they all get shovels and they start shoveling the dirt. And every time that dirt would hit the donkey, he would scream. So you got dirt, scream, dirt, scream, dirt, scream. Then all of a sudden the scream stopped. Now when the scream stopped, they gave the donkey a moment of silence, but then they kept going. More dirt, more dirt, more dirt. The next thing you know, you see the donkey's right ear. They're like, whoa. So they start shoveling faster. The next thing you know, you see half his body. They start shoveling faster. The next thing you know, Lauren, that donkey walks right out of the well that he fell into. So check this out. Every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on his back. He would step on it, and he used every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. Now you asked me to introduce myself to your audience. I am the donkey. And this is some of my dirt. I grew up in an alcoholic home. My father was an alcoholic. Now I have to put raging in front of it because that would give it justice. He raged from the time I was born until the day he died when I was 16. Now what that does to set up for a young man growing up is the fact that I could go and have fun but every day, while I'm in the midst of my fun, something would tap me on my shoulder and remind me that, hey, buddy, you got to go home tonight, so don't you get too happy. On top of living in an alcoholic home, you know, I grew up in poverty. Both my parents worked full time. My dad was a bus driver. My mom was a maid. She cleaned homes. And what the problem was is his money went to the street. My mother ended up raising four kids with the housekeeping salary. So, you know, we, we didn't have much money. On top of not having much money, you see what I'm saying? Um, dysfunction, all right? You got the alcoholic father, we don't have much money. And so my, my guidance wasn't really good, but then also my neighborhood had families that were similar to my own. So we were like all in this hot pot, trying to learn from each other. So you had crime, you had drugs, guys going in and out of rehab, going to prison and so forth. So why did I tell you all that? I've been able, just like the donkey, to shake that dirt off and I use what I've gone through as a catalyst and a motivation to get others to a place of clarity. And I like the word that you use, balance. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a powerful story. And I think I love that idea of using the things that have been hard in your life as stepping stones, as, as the, the catalyst, as the, the tool that you use to get where you are. That's really powerful. And so how do you do this with teens? So you're, you work with kids. How do you teach this to them? So, so this is how I do it. We're going to pretend that you are a principal. So I walk okay. into your office, right? And the first thing I ask you is I'm going to, I want 30 students. And when you fill my room, that room has to be filled with a cross section of students. So I want white, black, Latino. I want honor roll, struggling student, jock. And so that makes up my 30. They come to my room. Everything is done in a circle, right? And what I do is I start with the donkey story and then I explain to them my life story. But then I run them through two full days. It's a four-day program, but each day, each phase is done in two days. I run them through a two-day intense 
experiential experience. So the activities, and I go, they go through different activities over the two-day period. Now, I'm a firm believer that as we go through life, we step on landmines, but they don't blow us up. But damage occurs. Mm. And after the damage occurs, we start to structure our lives around the damage rather than structuring our lives around real time. Mm-hmm. So your life starts to become a reflection of what you went through rather than what you're dealing with at the time. And so what I do with the teenagers, with the uh, activities is I walk them back through their stories and I let them grab the landmines and I show them like, listen, you know, Jane or Johnny, yo, you went through something at five years old. You're still making decisions at 14 because of something that happened to you at five. And so what I do is I give them clarity. The gift. Yeah, I give them cap. Yeah, well, they call it, you know, they 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 say they feel almost like reborn. Once the mm-hmm. experience is over, they have, you know, and, and the activities are, are built where I get I start real light. And as I go, and check this out, not only do they get clarity on an individual level, I then have them break down barriers with the other kids in the group who are not part of their social. Yeah. Oh man, Michael, I have tears in my eyes thinking about how impactful that would be for the kids themselves. But what you just described is what I coach parents through too. So when parents are blowing up and angry and yelling at their kids, it's all out of pain. It's all out of those hidden landmines that we stepped on that damaged us on our way up. And I help them walk back and talk to their five-year-old self that's still within them. And I just, I, I know the folks who have done this work with me would feel, would just, it would blow their minds to think that they could have met someone like you and done it as a teenager. So they didn't have to carry that with them their whole lives. It's beautiful work. I'm very inspired. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But you know what? Let me tell your listeners this, the ones that may be reacting now, they have to understand that nothing is never too late. And not only is it not too late, the, the teacher has to always remain the student. So what, when, you know, we'll talk later about how they can interact with their children. The best way you can parent is transparency. See, parents feel like they have to be perfect. And if you create a model of perfection, then you, you, you setting yourself up for failure because you know you can't be perfect. And so if you want your kid to think you're perfect, you're in a, on a whole nother planet. So what you do is if you've done it wrong, but then you get good advice, yo, you, you sit him down and you tell him, like, hey, listen, sit down, let me talk to you. This is what I went through. I was abused, I was beaten. And when I react to you, this is where it's coming from. We can't fix what's happened, but yo, let's make this thing beautiful moving forward. Uh, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so much. And I think, I, I think that's one thing that I, is so important to me in my work with parents is that we have to let go of perfectionism and not just in a, within ourselves, but in front of our kids. So many of us were, 
raised in a home where perfection was demanded, where we were made into perfectionists. And we've got to undo that work and we've got to undo it so that we don't pass it on to our kids. And learning to repair in a vulnerable way with our kids it's not just for us too. It's for them, it, but it's, it's for all of us. They, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, so good. <laughs> um, let, can you help, can you help us? Can you help the parents that are in my community who have teens and they want to be able to raise their kids in a way that they don't have to recover from their childhood? Can, is there a way for parents to do this, some of this work with their own kids that you do? Well, you know, what, what they have to do is, um, some of the work they have to do is separate from their teenager. And I think what, what you have to do is you have to slow down and watch their every movement. Like really start to focus on your teenager. See, once, once they become teenagers and they become more independent, we're happy because we have to do less work. But in reality, it's, it's, a, it's a bridge. It's a transitional phase. So you have to be aware of their movements, their demeanor, and their behavior. So I say that to you. I'll give your parents an example. Um, my daughter's allowed to go in her room and close her door, but not for long periods of time. And it's not a limit. But if I keep coming up and down the hall and the door is closed too often or too long for me, I open it. But I don't just open it. When I open it, we now have dialogue. Hey, listen, mm-hmm. what's up? You're checking you know, in. You, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you've been, you've been in the room. It's been two or three days. I'm not really crazy about that you're back here. Talk to me. Tell daddy something. Now, she's got to shoo me, but she's got to do it in a confident way that I feel that I can walk away. But otherwise, we're going to have some dialogue. And I say that because... What you want to do, and I use like tapping your foot as an example, is you want to stay in rhythm with your kid. Mm-hmm. Stay in rhythm with your teenager. Yeah. So, you know, you constantly want to be at a place so that when they step out of rhythm, you know, you can, yeah, you yeah. can address it. Because if you wait too long, you know, especially with teenagers today and the things that they can get into, if you wait too long, when you have to go, uh, um, to um, go get them, you know what I'm saying? Like get them out of trouble. It's much harder than if you can be proactive and stop it before it gets too murky. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking as you were talking to you about kind of, so some, there's some communities that I am in that take a kind of a radical stance on um, children's privacy. And so I'm kind of curious about that, about, Um, How do you find a balance between letting them have their space because they are in transition, they're moving towards adulthood, they do need more privacy, Um, and at the same time, giving them the, uh, the, the confidence that you've got their back, that you know, that they know that you're going to check on them, that they know that they can count on you to keep them safe, even when they can't keep themselves safe. So how do you find that balance? Because I mix a little old school and new school. Okay. And see, that's that. Well, well, you know, old school, when I was growing up, and I don't do it this extreme, but I'm going to give you old school, but then the mixture is you speak when you're spoken to, and I am the parent. Mm -hmm. And when I say no, I mean no, and I don't have to explain to you why I said no. If it's something that's going to keep you from danger, 
When I say, no, there's some things in my house, I don't care. You can read all the modern day books you want to, but you know, and, and start telling me all this eloquent language. Listen, if you're going to do something that's going to hurt you and I know you're going to get hurt, no. It's the same thing as yeah. when a kid toddler is running towards the street. No, you're going to hold my hand. Yeah. You do you do not run in a parking lot. You hold my hand or you get carried. And yeah. and that's it. Yeah. So what do what are those boundaries for teens? Well, you know what you have to do is is like you said a good word you used was the independence. So with my daughter, I they they have long ropes. So they mm-hmm. don't don't think that they don't have long ropes. And 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 believe it or not, they have long ropes, but when the rope gets too far, you just correct them. So you give them the independence and you just watch. See, the, what, what happens and why parents don't really like to do that is because to, to watch your teenager is work. Mm. See, and that's why I'm having a lot of issues with parents putting their kids on medication. See, a parent will rush to medicate a teenager because you can medicate them and put them to sleep or you can do some of the work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You could do some of the work. So, you know, some parents, no disrespect, but you know, hey, listen, just give them a pill that'll slow down their engine so I don't have to do work, but you can't do that. So, you know, you just have to make sure that you're on top of it and do the work. So the boundary deal has to deal with the fact that I'm in, I'm in step so that I don't have to be a tyrant. You know, and then on top of that, if you are, what, what consistency, you know, my mom in the midst of that chaos in my home, my mom was consistent Mm -hmm. and that consistency is something that they thrive off of. So the same daddy shows up every time. They don't never have to be like, oh, is it this daddy, Monday daddy or Tuesday daddy? They know who daddy is. And Mm -hmm. so again, with that consistency, you create a framework, you know, um, you know, where there's, there's, there's communication. And they know when they stepped on your toes. You know, my kids know when they do something wrong. We don't have to really argue or fight about it. I don't even have to. We, and we got an understanding where I could just look at it. You know, it's just I think a we short all know the look that yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, I, I, I don't think I should have did that. And so they may retract it and, and back up on their own. But, um, you and know, my. From us, when yeah. we step out of line, when we, yeah. when we make a mistake, they learn from yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. This is so good. So I, I think you've said some really important things and I like to recap for my, um, for my listeners. Yeah. Ahead. You know, they're listening and doing other things. So a good recap. So one, I think the observing piece of it is so important. And I preach that a lot with my younger kids. Observing is so important. Stepping back and just watching, just seeing, learning who your kid is, learning so that you can notice when things are off. I love that. Um, I love this idea of consistency. And I I really like how the way you spoke about consistency um, didn't mean rigidity, that you can still be flexible within being consistent. I love that. Um, And then the importance of letting them depend on you, letting them know that you will help them and guide them and create boundaries for them. Um, And then repairing with them early so that they know how to do it and letting them repair and, and come back from a mistake. Those are beautiful tips. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. 
Um, okay, so I do have a, I had a couple of listeners who knew I was talking to you who um, wanted to ask some questions. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I love okay, it. Okay, good. Okay, good. Because um, they were really excited. So again, because I don't talk a lot about teens, so they're really happy to have somebody that can help them. So, um, okay, so one question is um, that we, we've maybe already talked a little bit about, but how to balance staying connected to them and allowing them freedom and autonomy, um, you know, that so that they know that we want to support them in becoming successful and whole people. Um, kind of, how do we do that? How do we let go? How do we find that balance um, of kind of that connectedness and the autonomy? You create ground rules, but you do it together. Compromise. Okay. So, so almost, yeah, like a contract. Yeah. Okay. You know, so you create a contract where it's not your law, it's our law. Got it. You see what I'm saying? So, so, you know, it's like when I teach teenagers in my concepts, I never tell them a concept, they learn it. So that their brain tells them that they thought of it. So it's not like I shoved it down their throat. Yeah, so you're, meaning of it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So with your teenagers, it's the same thing. You know what? I'm not laying the law. Let's sit down and let's agree to something that you can win and I can win, and so everybody can be happy. So that's how you can stay connected and still have structure, but not feel like you're the sergeant. I love it. Okay. A lot of folks um, were asking about um, social media and screen time and those things, and I think that those questions are answered by this collaboration. So if you're having kids pushing back around their media use or their technology use, you've not been collaborative in establishing the boundaries. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, okay. So then, um, another parent wants to know how they can, you know, so they have young kids, but they're already looking ahead to the teenage years and they want to know kind of what they can do now to cultivate a relationship where their child will come to them when they're struggling, where they will feel safe and confident in, in their parents. Um, so that they can, the kids, you know, when they're older and maybe are in trouble, that they won't hide it. They won't lie. They'll come to you um, and they'll get support from you. Um, how, like, what can we do now with little kids to create an environment where that type of beautiful relationship with the teen can happen? Because I believe it can. Right, right. What I did is I instilled with my kid at a very young age that if you tell me the truth, you won't get in trouble. Mm. Very young. And I mean, we started young. And so they would do things and come and they tell you and you just, you know, they don't get in trouble. And so you create this environment where they don't feel like they're going to get zapped. Yeah. And then that allows them, but they got to, even if it's older, again, it's that consistency, Mm -hmm. but just allowing them to understand that, you know, listen, we do things, you know, and then, you know, again, it's, it's transparency. You know, with my kids, my wife is not as good at it as I am. But, um, and, and it's part of why I'm a good teacher is, is I'm transparent. Like I'm the dude where if you're talking to me, I have to be careful. Cause I tell you my life story <laughs> right down to the deepest, deepest secret. But I do that with, with my kids so that my kids understand, like, you know, listen, dad is, you know, I'm, I'm, I have blemishes. I, I've, I've, I've had issues, you know, I've, I've tried some of the, and, and, and not only that, I was wild. You know, when we get around my mom, their grandma, we laugh and talk about, we don't get the specifics, but you know, daddy, daddy was a bad boy. 
You know what I'm saying? And, and grandma had a rough time with him over some rough patches, but look at him now. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, I let them understand that, you know, you're going to run into situations that may have you make bad decisions. And if you make a bad decision, you know, our relationship is not tarnished and let's, you know, let's get, get it on the table and let's move forward. Yeah. I love it. That, that trust is built early. That yeah. When the, when kids, even when it, over something little, if they yeah. feel the need to lie to you about it, that right there, no, you know that the trust is, is breaking down a little bit and you've got to right. do some work. You've got to apologize. I'm so sorry that I, I made it hard for you to tell me the truth here. Yeah. Just yeah. know that if, when you tell me the truth, I will always help you and you will never be in trouble. Because yeah. when they, you know, when they drew on the wall, like that's little, right? We right. don't need to be mad about that. We can right. let that go. We can tell them the boundaries. We can set them up for success. But when it's, I've been at a party and I'm drinking and I, I thought I wasn't going to, and now I'm the only way home. Like we want them calling us. Yeah. We want yeah. them to, to reach out to us. We want them to have a way to get home when they're hurting. Yeah. 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 So that trust is so important and it's built early. And yeah. I love that idea of transparency too. And um, the there's a lot of research on, family storytelling and how protective it is for kids right. especially when you start young with family storytelling like you were talking about your stories right um, they are it's really protective for the teen years um and some of us do that by instinct because that's we learned from our family stories growing up but there's that's something you can do really intentionally too is, is tell those stories where you made mistakes where you screwed up and you wish you had had done something different you know like those stories are really important they are a really great way to teach your core values to your kids um and they're really protective for teenage in the teenage years there's some beautiful research on that too. wow wow yeah. okay oh yeah your that method is backed up by good science okay all right <laughs> yeah thank you thank you yeah, good um okay and so then one last question um from a listener, if we can. So I have a few people who are really interested in, in how they can um, help their child find themselves and discover their passions and interests and then support them in those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of us parents, um, if we are not conscious of it, we will live through our kids. We will kind of this is what happened with my dad. My dad was a wonderful dad, um, but he was very invested and very, um, he took on a lot of pride, a lot of his own personal fulfillment from my successes and from my sister's successes um, to the extent that our wishes, our desires, our interests were put on the back burner. I mean, he wanted me to go to a specific college that didn't have the um, degree that I wanted to go into, (laughs) you know, and I went there because he wanted to go there, (laughs) you know, I mean, like there was just, there was a lot of influence because he wasn't, didn't have the grades when he was in school to get, get into that university. And I mean, I'm like, it's fine now. I got a degree in psychology. I love the job that I do, but I always wonder like, what would my life have been like if I had been a marine biologist, you know, I've been researching whales instead of kids and families, you know? So how, how can we do that? How can we, keep that good boundary for ourselves, how can we, and and still help them develop their interests and their passions and their purpose, find their purpose. Exposure, exposure. So what I did with my kids, what's beautiful um, 
you know, when I, when I was having kids, I was an elite athlete. So listening to you about your dad, I was an elite athlete. I, I performed at a very high level, had very, a, a lot of success, but my blessing was that I had such success that when I had kids, I understood that I lived it already. I didn't have to live it through my kids. But as they were growing up, I just exposed them to everything. And you just let them do this and you let them do that. Not overexposure, because my brother-in-law has a tendency that he overexposes my niece. Mm -hmm. But I expose them to things and you let them go after and... You know, it's like a toy. You watch a kid pick up a toy, play with it for a little while, and then put it down. And if they don't go back to the toy, you realize that they really weren't interested in it. Yeah. And so that's what I did. So, you know, we did, uh, my kids uh, played basketball, football, uh, soccer. So we just kept sprinkling them. And, and one thing that my daughter did, which i show you the exposure, is she was doing pageants. And I was not crazy about the pageants, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, a pageant weekend, you know, it was insane, you know, and, and the pressure that these little girls are under. Mm -hmm. But I totally supported. We got our, uh, our lessons with a count, uh, a lady to teach her how to do interviews. I mean, it was crazy. And we just wrote it out. And then one day she just looked at us and was like, listen, I'm done. I don't want to do I don't want to do it anymore. So as long as you expose them, they're going to find their passion, but take the advice of what you said is don't have a heavy hand on anything. Yeah. You know, um just as of recently my son is um 13 and it just dawned on me because they're doing well in sports, but I want them to both know that if they ever stop playing sports, then I would still love them. Mm -hmm. Just in case they had that in the back of their minds, like, you know, if I stop playing, maybe daddy would be upset because he was such an athlete. But I told them both, I was like, listen, if you stop tomorrow, I'm good. I'm yeah. good. So, you know, just giving them that independence, but exposure, I think, is, is key. I think, I, I love this. And I, I don't know if you know how how radically different what you're saying is from the kind of the mainstream approach to parenting. So I, I teach a play therapy course um, where I'm teaching parents how to stop interrupting kids play basically. Um, and it's so hard. So what you just said, like they pick up a toy, they play with it and they put it down and they don't go back to it. That wasn't for them. It wasn't their, didn't meet their interests. So many parents can't handle that. If they buy a toy and they want their kid to like it, they, and they go pick it up, play with it, and put it down. They will go and pick it up. Didn't you want this? Or you know, oh, what about this one? Like they're in, like there's stuff invested in in it. And so I just I don't know how if you know how radical and beautiful what you what you just said was because it's lots of parents don't know how to step to step way back and let wow. it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing too, like so, what do you think about quitting? I I and the, so. In the circles that I'm in, there's um, there's lots of talk about, you know, if you're going to do a sport, you commit to it, you can't quit. You have to at least finish this. Like, how, what is your stance on quitting? Oh, they got to finish. They got to finish. finish. like, the season. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got to finish. Yeah, okay. they can stop. They can stop. You know what I mean? You know, if you decide that you don't want anymore. But, you know, quitting, and I want your parents to hear me when I say this. What happens is... You, you, set, you set 
uh, a grid. You set a grid. So what happens is, and I wrote it in my book, is that if you have a life full of incomplete, your grid gets set. And if you don't learn how to complete things, that will be your, the story of your life. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want them to set their grid on being partial. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like something, you can make the choice to quit, not quit. You, you can make a choice not to go back, but you have to set a pattern of completion because if not, your, your, your child will run that pattern. And, and if you're not careful that all their lives, they just won't finish anything. Yeah. So I love this, this differentiation between finishing and quitting. You right. can be finished with basketball, but you need to finish, you know, and, and not do it again, but we got to finish out the season because yes. you, know, you made a commitment. Yes. I, lo- I love that idea, but that, that distinction and doing that doesn't make you a quitter. You know, no. it doesn't, it doesn't set your, it sets your grid on completion. I love that idea. Thank you so much. That's so good. <laughs> okay. So I want to, I want to be respectful of your time and our listeners time. So um, I, is there anything else you want to share with us before um, I ask you my last question? No, no, come on. No? Okay, good. Um, so here at The Balanced Parent, we really uh, um, are committed to feeling, um, to a life where we feel balanced, of one that we don't have to escape from, a parenthood that we don't have to escape from. And so I wonder if you would share with us how you achieve balance in your life. Mine, three ways that you achieve balance. Mind, body, and spirit. Okay, tell me more. So what I do is I get up every morning. Um, I'm very much into working out. Um, I do a lot of cardio. So I start my cardio on a recumbent bike. You know, I do it all in my home. And spiritually, I get balanced before I do anything. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much into my faith. So I spend time with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's to set my spiritual side. Once I feel balanced spiritually, I get off that bike and I attack my body. So I work out. Mm-hmm. So it's the physical. And with the work that I do, I don't get to go someplace and unload. So I've been able to make my workouts therapeutic to the point where I'm so entrenched in my workout that my family, walk up, they can walk up on me and tap me, and I don't even feel their presence mm-hmm. until the touch because I, I use it as time to get rid of not only my only my issues, but I uncover some deep issues within the work that I do. So the body is 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 that, um, and soul wise is is I'm careful of what I feed myself. Um, that's food, like what we eat, and then it's what I see, what I listen to, um, and what I'm around. Yeah, what and you so, take in. Yeah, yeah, you know, and if I take care of those areas, um, any time that I feel unbalanced, I'm deficient in one of those places. Um, rarely, rarely is it the so, um, spiritual because that's my routine. A lot of times it becomes what I'm around. Um, and what happens is when we work in a world, you can't control some of the places where you have to go. Um, and, and, you know, I, I have a really hard time with um, fake people because I'm so transparent. So interacting in the world sometimes becomes a little difficult 
because when I see that you're stepping behind a mask and you're not really being yourself, you know, I, I take it personal. I mean, I hate to say it, but I do. And so, you know, my kids play on teams and, you know, we go to basketball tournaments and we meet parents, you know, and there's been so many times where at, on the surface, we want to be friends with some. And then when you invite them into your home and your space, you're like, wow, what the heck was I thinking? So, you know, but those are three things that I do to feel yeah. balanced. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it sounds too that it's almost a, like it's a mindfulness practice for you as, yes. as well. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I love that you know so clearly what brings you back to balance, that those are the practices you can rely on. And that when you are feeling unbalanced, you know, you can always come home to those and that those yeah. will bring you back. Oh, I think it's so important that we all find those for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Michael, for being with us. Um, tell my listeners where they can find you and find your work. Um, and yeah, where, like where they can follow you, drop your, okay. like, let me know your website, social media, where they can find you. Right, right. So for my public speaking, they can find me on my website, michaelarterberry.com. For that, that's for my motivational speaking. Um, I have a nonprofit where I work with teens um, and that is Youth Voices Center. So they okay. can go to youthvoicescenter.org. And I'll put all of those in the show notes. Yeah, so people yeah. will have clickable links that they can just go to. Sounds good. Um, then it's my, my social media. So you'll give them the spelling of my name. But, yeah. you know, come for me on Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn's business, if you know. But like my Facebook page, I have a group in my Facebook page called Be Encouraged mm -hmm. um, because I wrote a book. Um, called Be Encouraged, 250 Days of uh, Motivation and Inspiration. And, it, and it's written in devotional style. Okay. So you can pick a page, read it for the day. And so I've used my life experience and my, my, my spiritual time. So what I, real quickly, um, yeah. what, what, with the book, what happened was is um, I have my spiritual time. And then when I come out of my spiritual time, I write like a paragraph or so, and then I post it on Facebook. And I did this for years. And a woman was dying of cancer. And she wrote me an a, a, a inbox. And she said, listen, I wish I can find all your messages in one place. And when she said that, it motivated me to write, put, take them. I pulled them all off of my Facebook page, picked my favorites, 250 of them. And I put them into a book. And I dedicated the book to her now she passed away but you know she was the one that motivated me to do it because I wanted her to have a place where she can open and see them so each page page is is part of an extension of my time that I spill I feel um that I spend in the spirit so uh 250 days yeah. of motivation and inspiration so um but being encouraged is my group Okay, well, so, where, can we, where can we get this book? Because it sounds oh, wonderful. You can get, yeah, you can get it on Amazon.com. Okay, yeah. Yep, Amazon. Then there's another book, just real quick, that my wife wrote about me. Oh. It's called God Was Holding My Hand. And so it's a book written about, um, just real quick, um, being in, in spiritual. I had um, a spinal cord injury. So my life has been about shaking dirt like that donkey, and I still have to. But I had a spinal cord injury, and I went in for surgery. Um, and uh, when I came out of surgery, um, it was all about my lower extremities, but my right palm 
was burning. And I kept, I kept asking the recovery nurse, why is my right palm burning? And she couldn't tell me. And she was getting annoyed with me because I kept asking, I kept asking. And I was on drugs, so I thought I was losing my mind. And then, listen, I came home, and I'm on my couch. And as I'm sitting on my couch, I'm going back through my mind. And in my recovery room, there was a chair right where my hand would drop off the bed. Mm. And I, God stopped in his busy schedule. He was holding my hand. He was holding my hand. It was burning. It was burning because he was sitting there and he was holding and caressing my hand. And so when I told my wife about it, we took that as a sign. And we wrote a book about my life and my spirituality. So that's called God Was Holding My Hand. That's you can amazing. Get that, yeah, you can get that at Amazon. Um, and that's that's it, you know. Um you know, people come and follow me, drop me messages. Um, I like to, re to to interact with my followers. So, uh, you know, that's, that's yeah. Okay, great. Well, I hope that um, everybody go and follow Michael. If you need someone to come speak to your organization or do a virtual speaking, you know, that's where we are right now in our lives. Um, reach out to him. I'm sure that you, after hearing him speak, I, I don't, I don't know how you could say no to that. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, Thank you for, for having me. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yes. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right, that's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other. And most importantly of yourself, and just remember, balance is a verb, and you're already doing it. You've got this. <laughs>